if you're going to really live a life of biblical love, it's going to be impossible to live that life unless you fall in love with God's Word. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you, and uh, another moment that I know we've used the word treasure a lot this morning, but it's just heavy on my heart. Lord, I pray right now we treasure your word, your truth. Uh, God, as I yield myself to you, uh, may you work in me, through me, and beyond me. I pray you'd move me out of the way, God, so that we would not see the messenger, but I pray we would just hear and see and resonate and embrace the message. Lord, give me a divine unction this morning. Holy Spirit, move in my mind, my heart, and my soul. Give me your words, not my own words. God, as we listen, as we commune, as we take notes, God, I pray that you would just reveal what you have for us today individually. We're all on different paths of the journey. Uh, Here we are, God, in this room, we're gathered in one accord, and so wherever we might be in the sanctification process, or perhaps we've never given our life to you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you work in this place, move in power, fight for us, O God, fight for us, O God, this morning, as we surrender not some to you, but as we surrender all. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen Savior, Jesus King, Jesus do we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, I want to read this verse to you. It's a simple short verse, but before I do that, I wanted just to read verse 6 from last week for you that perhaps weren't here And you got to remember, we're in these three verses, five, six, and seven of these seven critical elements, components from God's Word that will help our faith be supplemented, that will help our faith be built up and strengthened. And so here's what verse six says in your Bible, and then we'll roll right into verse seven. Verse six, and knowledge with self-control, so we talked about self-control last week, self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. As I begin to read verse 7, this thought occurred to me from last week's study. So we have self-control, we have a steadfastness, and then you see there we have this godliness, holiness. For us that have given our lives to Christ, and I pray everyone has in the room, we should be the most excellent people for the Lord on the planet. Amen? Wherever we go, whatever we do, at work, at play, the retirement center, the family reunion, wherever we go, we should be the most excellent people. 
And as I began to process that, I then read that next verse, verse 7 today, and it said this, it says, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Just bear with me a moment and just think through this. So, in the last two weeks, we've studied several components of these that will undergird our faith, that will supplement, that will, again, that word supplement, you take the first part of the word and it says supply. And so whatever we're supplying into our minds, our hearts, and our souls, we will typically react on that. You hear me say this often, what I think on is what I act on. What I feed my mind motivates how I then behave. That's why it's so critical that we get deep into God's Word. I was listening to a sermon this past week from John MacArthur, and this was from many, many years ago. And he was detailing in this particular sermon, it was actually sent to me, and I'm so glad it was. It just refreshed my soul. It encouraged me. I just felt strengthened through the word that he was proclaiming and preaching. And he said this. Are you ready for this? He said that he preached through the book of Luke, and it took him 10 years. 24 chapters over 10 years. He said once he got done with that, he took a couple weeks off, and there was such a, a hunger, such a thirst, such a desperation, such a starving for the Word. He said that as it began Mark, he said the place was packed and was buzzing, so to speak. See, there's something about being fed nourishment that will truly nurture your soul. These seven components will nurture your soul. If you allow them to penetrate your heart, if I allow them to penetrate my heart and, and get deep within my heart and into my mind, it will begin to change me, change you from the inside out. And I know this, I'm willing to admit this in front of you today, I am always in a state of needing to constantly be changed. Always. For anyone that claims Christ and says, I don't need to be changed. You don't understand the sanctification process. The whole word sanctification means this, ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus. That's what it means. And there's a humility in that. There's a, a desperation that recognizes that the closer I get to God, the, the more that I see who I really am. Positionally, hear this clearly, positionally, I am saved and redeemed. Amen? Amen? Okay, I thought I lost you already. Good grief. That would have been early. Yeah, positionally, we're saved. Oh, we're saved. We, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says this in Ephesians, that for those that have given their life to Christ, you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, that's not a license to go out and partay. Because when you really understand what you've been saved from, why do you ever want to go back? Amen. I'm in a constant process of sanctification where there's things in my life that need to be brought under submission to Christ, need to be brought under His guidance, His Lordship, His righteousness through obedience to Him that need to change. We never fully get there until that day, amen? 
And what a day that's going to be when we go from sanctification, because we've already been justified through justification, we then go to sanctification, and then on that day, and what a day that's going to be, amen? On that day when you and I stand in the presence of King Jesus, what a glorious day that's going to be that we, the Bible says this, not me, the Bible says this, that we will be like him. That's just awesome. No more sin in my life. No more desire to sin. I'll be set free. Finally, from this body of death. But we're here today. We're living, we're breathing, we're on planet earth, and we got a mission. And the question of the hour is this, how will you, how will I supplement my faith? Well, we've been studying this over the last two weeks and now the third week, and here's two key components. The first one right here in verse 7 says this, and with this holiness, with this pursuit of holiness, with this godliness, there will be brotherly affection. I want you to write down key number one in your notes. Write this down out of the gate. When the faith I profess is genuine... Now again, we've been saying this for three weeks now, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, I will make every effort. So by His enabling, we then obey to live a life of brotherly affection. What is brotherly affection? I mean, what does that even mean? Well, it's that Greek word, Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly love. There's a a human element here of affection. Here's the question I want to ask you, and I've asked myself all week. I've had to wrestle with this all week, and I've been grappling with the Lord in this. We've been kind of duking it out, if you will, and you're right. He wins. Amen. But here's what just was downloaded into my mind, and I ask you the same question. Who or what has your affections today? Here's what I'm learning about my own life. Wherever my affections are is where I'm going. Wherever my affections are aimed at, that a that the arrows are being shot toward, if you will, is where I'm going. This brotherly affection is so mission critical. Take, for instance, your home. Just your little home, your mini church, if you will. Could be a mom and a dad, could be kids still in the home. That's your mini church. That's my mini church. I'm the pastor of my mini church called my home. I'm responsible for my home. God's going to hold me, not you, he's going to hold me accountable for my home. Is there brotherly affection in my home? Is there this, I guess you could say it kind of like this, and I wrote this down. It's an affection and kindness that especially Christians should have for one another. Now the enemy, his whole, his whole deal, 
His card, as we've taught before, is all about lies, and lies are always about deception, and deception always leads to division. He's all about dividing, to seek and divide. In your home, maybe you're thinking about that right now. Maybe there's some in the room today that you're thinking right now of your your immediate home, your husband, your wife, your kids, maybe your extended family, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, uh, uh, perhaps brothers and sisters, maybe they're out of the house. I don't know all the stories in the room, but I know this, that the enemy for every Christ-honoring home today, the enemy's like, I, I just don't want to wound you. I just don't want you to walk with a limp. The enemy's like, I want to miss a lock on your home, on your life, and I want to utterly destroy you. And often what he does is he'll get in there and disrupt the brotherly affection. I made this note here. I said this. It will be impossible to live a life of brotherly affection while focused on self and jealous of others. I've seen way too many homes get utterly just ripped apart at the seams because of selfishness and jealousy. When you think about selfishness, what is the root of selfishness? Well, it's those first four letters, right? Self. And so often a preoccupation with self begins to manifest itself. It begins to just fuel the fire. It fuels the rage that goes on inside that, that I got to have, that I got to have, and I want this and I want that. And we become jealous. And so often when you think about that whole concept of selfishness and jealousy, you see right here that that's obviously the opposite of having a brotherly affection. When someone is affectionate with someone else, there's a, a nearness, there's a, there's a dearness, there's a, a compassion, there's a, a softness, even of the countenance, right? When, when you have affection for someone, you typically don't, you know, they say, hey, you know, give me five, and you go, here, let me give you two, doink. You know, that's not what you typically do, right? That, that'd be kind of weird. That's not affection, that's like, that's mean, Affection is just, it's something that is in us, a brotherly affection that is a byproduct of surrender to Christ. We understand what he did for us, and now we want to extend that to other people. And if the enemy goes, you know, don't be that. You know, you got to be hard-nosed, and, you know, you got to, you know, and be, be king of the jungle, if you will. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible's so clear on this. And one of the biggest barriers to showing this affection manifests itself. It really manifests itself in insecurity. There's so many factors on why all of us humans are insecure. We all got it to some degree. Welcome to planet Earth, right? I mean, we all got it. Uh, Many times it's wounds and scars from childhood. Perhaps it's on the ends of some sort of abuse. On and on we could go. But insecurity begins to breed something inside of each one of us humans to some degree. And we got to understand this, that our hope and our identity and our security is not wound up in what we do. It's not wound up in what we have. It's not wound up in what people think about us. Our hope, our identity, and security is wound up in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And unfortunately, we see the the enemy doing a great work through insecurity. 
But you got to remember, even though the culture champions the concept of have freedom from Christ, the Bible says if you want true freedom in life, you only find freedom in Christ. Not freedom from, freedom in. Think about this verse that spurred my mind this past week. It's Romans chapter 12. Write that down, verse 10. Romans 12, verse 10. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes and all of the hardship of his life. And he comes out of the gate swinging and he says, love one another with brotherly affection. A nearness, a dearness, a, a camaraderie, a compassion. Outdo one another in showing honor. But that's powerful, isn't it? I mean, that's hard to do in the flesh, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to do with the people that we like, amen? But the people that, man, rub us the wrong way, man, it's hard, isn't it? If we're just honest today, it's hard. That's why it's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. We can't do it. We need to extend and show that brotherly affection to outdo one another. What's that mean to outdo one another? Well, I mean, have you ever tried to outdo someone on the ball field? Maybe on the checkerboard? Well, you're trying to win, right? You're, you're trying to overcome. But imagine what would happen in your home. Take that example today again, the home. Imagine if, you know what, man, husband and wife, they're like, man, let's just see how we can outserve one another. Just, just think how that would, in your marriage relationship alone, how that affection, that extending that intentionally, urgently, desperately, that as you do that, that imagine what's going to happen. Imagine the true koinonia, the oneness, the fellowship, the bringing together as we look away from self, we look towards one another in the marital relationship, and we go, I want to outserve you. Think about inside your ball team, your business our church, that we outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine the unity that will bring. Ask yourself this critical question, church. How can we band together and advance the gospel mission? Just ask that rhetorically. How can we band together and advance the gospel mission? I believe Mark, chapter Mark, Chapter 8 of, of Mark gives us this answer. Mark 8, look at this. Mark 8, 31 through 38. Mark 8, 31 through 38. It says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man... Now, now who's talking here? Do we know? Jesus, good answer. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Praise God he did that. Amen. And he said this plainly. Now here we go. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter loved to give lectures, didn't he? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter's rebuking who? Jesus, right? Uh, note to self, probably not a good idea, amen? Amen. But turning and seeing his disciples, love this. Mm, this is good. He rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, what? Satan. For you are not here. This is the key here. This is the key. 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, just pause there for a moment. This is, again, not a trick question. We are in 2 Peter chapter 1, and just take a stab at this one, wild guess. Who do you think wrote 2 Peter? Any ideas? Habakkuk? No. Moses? Yeah, Peter! See, this is what's so cool. This is what encourages me today as I'm a work in progress and God is working in my heart today. Isn't this so cool that at one point, listen church, at one point, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And now, and now Peter is actually writing this glorious verse. You know what that shows me? It shows me there's hope. It shows me that in the midst of my struggles, in the midst of your struggles, that no matter where we are, as I've said before, failing in itself is not the issue. It's what you do next that matters. God takes the mess and He creates the message, amen? And aren't you glad He does that? I know I am. Praise be to Him. He goes on and says this in this Mark chapter 8, look at verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Come here, guys. He says, come here. Come here. If anyone would want to come after me. So, so Jesus just goes, okay, I'm just going to lay this out real plainly. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. What's well, easy to deny other people, isn't it? That's like real easy to do. No, let him deny himself and take up his cross, the extent of the Nile, and then follow me at any and all costs. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, and the gospels will save it. For what does the profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels and all God's people said. Wow, that's, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. There Peter is, and he hears Jesus speaking truth that he doesn't like to hear. And so his knee-jerk reaction is to rebuke Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes him and says, look, this is how this is going to work. If you really want to be mine... If you really want to know me and I know you, Jesus says, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up that cross, that extent of the denial, and you're going to have to follow me all the days of your life. Oh, church, I I pray for me, I pray for you, that, that that would be the mantra of our lives today. 
But that as we look towards Christ and realize that it's all about are we becoming more like Christ, if we're going to become more like Christ, we have to obey Christ. If we're going to obey Christ, I, you, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to do this, deny ourselves, we're going to take up our crosses and follow Him all the days of our lives. And I promise you this, for you that are willing to do that, for you today that say, you know what, I'm willing to take that step, I'm willing to be that person, I'm willing, 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 willing to sacrifice my own will for God's will, my own glory for God's glory. For you that are going to be willing to do that, here's the beauty in this, it's going to be tough sledding, I promise you this, while you're here on this life, but when you step into His presence, there will be no regrets, Amen. Brotherly affection. We'll never have brotherly affection for one another if we don't deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Him. What is the final element in this verse? Well, it's one word. It's a four-letter word. Can you say four-letter words in church? I hope so, especially this one, amen? Love. It's interesting because the brotherly affection is the Philadelphia love. This is the agape love. Uh, this is a love that is out of this world. That you think through this, and here it is. Make this personal again in key number two. Write this down in key number two. Here it is. When the faith I profess is genuine, it's real, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, I will make every effort. I will obey. I will seek to live a life of biblical love. It's a love that loves in spite of. I think often of Elizabeth Elliot, and I would encourage you, if you have not tuned in to Elizabeth Elliot and her podcast, to do so. A powerful, powerful testimony. Not only the grace of God in her life, and not only the mercy of God in her life, and, and not only the righteous blood of Jesus and obedience to Him in her life, but, but you see something, you see a narrative in her life that continues to impact me, and, and here she is, and her husband is there, and you know the story, Jim Elliott, martyred missionary, he gets executed on the mission field, and I don't know about you, but if I'm her, and I got a young child, uh, I, I'm booking the next Southwest ticket home, Amen. And she goes, no, 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 God called us here. Whether Jim's here or not, we're staying on the mission field. And she says these words, it's because I loved them so much. I don't know if you've tracked with this, but here's the deal. Her husband got executed by these people, and she says, I'm not going home. I'm staying right in the fire. Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? That's a powerful love. That cannot be explained. It's a love that you see right here that is loving not because of, but in spite of. A love that desires what is best for the other person, regardless how it impacts me and you. And that's really hard. In the, just the, the real world, that's really hard. To love someone with a biblical love, a God-like love, that you begin to look through the lens of God. You look through the lens of God, and you go, this is how I'm going to love that person. It's the one that rubs me the wrong way, but, but I'm going to love that person through God's lens. And as we begin to extend that love that, by the way, was extended to us, amen, that we're just now extending that which was very extended to us. We, we say, you know what, I'm going to extend and give that which was given to me. I thought about that over this past week, and I thought, how do you live out biblical love? 
I mean, how do you do it? Truthfully, like, how do you do it? This phrase hit me this past week. You first have to fall in love with the Bible. If you're going to really live a life of biblical love, it's going to be impossible to live that life unless you fall in love with God's Word. Why? Because God's Word is exactly what that is. It's God's Word. It's His truth. It's the words of God Himself that He's given to us that we might live the life that honors Him and pleases Him to show the brotherly affection, to extend the love. I will never love people. You will never love people like you need, like I need to love them through a biblical lens unless we fall in love with God's Word. I mentioned that earlier, the John MacArthur illustration. Ten years, 24 chapters. I don't know if that's hit you yet. Ten years. And yet we're going into the book of Mark, and the place is jam-packed, and the buzz is stirring. Why? Because the people love the Word of God. Because they know it's what's going to set them free, that they know it's what's going to nurture and feed their souls. They know it's what's going to sustain them in the moments of life that are so seemingly unsustainable. That's what the truth of God's Word does. Remember, remember this. When we read Scripture, church, as we're reading even right now, as we're studying, don't ask what it means to me. Don't ask what it means to you. It's a trap. Ask, what does it say? It's what we call two words. One is, eisegesis, and one is exegesis. Eisegesis is where I read Scripture and then I put my own spin on it. Exegesis is where I read Scripture and say, God, what does it say? And I mine it for what it says. At face value, it is exegeted. We get in there with a shovel and we dig in there and we go, what does it say? Today we're dig- with a shovel, we're going, what does it say? What does brotherly love look like scripturally? And how do I apply that to my life? Like how can you and I apply biblical love and brotherly affection to our lives starting today? How can we do this? Well, how about John 13? Write this down. John 13, 34 through 35. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another. How? How do you do that? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is so cool. 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. I think we we skip over this. We miss this deep theological truth. So often we think about discipleship as a you know, a book study, it's a video series, it's a simulcast. It's a, all those things are components of discipleship, but that's not inclusive of discipleship. When you really study what discipleship is, what do you think Jesus did as you read the Gospels? Well, He invested in people's lives, specifically 12 and really specifically three. And He began to die into those people. That's discipleship. That you begin to die into them. You spend time with them. You, you mind the Scriptures. You pray. Yes, bring in a book study. Bring in a video series. 
That's discipleship. And the reason why people so often abandon the faith, they apostate from it, you can go back and go, well, were they truly being discipled? Just showing up to Sunday school is not discipleship. It's a component of it. But if that's where we end and go, well, I'm glad I had my discipleship for the day, then we're missing it. You got to be in it. You got to dig in it. You got to want it. And right there, it explains it. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Regardless of what you get, I get, we still love people. Just as Christ has loved us, that's the whole example. We are patterned after Him. By this, they will know, they will see, they'll go, man, there's something different, but there's something different going on there. And what happens is it's so tempting over time, you begin to pull back from this and pull back from that, and it's a scheme of the enemy. Well, you, you, you got to be in, you got to be in, you got to take the effort, take the initiative to say, I'm going to own, I'm going to own my discipleship. I'm not going to blame everyone else. I'm, I'm going to own it. I, I want this in my life. I want to grow. I want to become more like Jesus. Of course, the enemy is going to do everything in his power, everything, every shenanigan in his bag of tricks to keep us from pursuing that. And the verse concludes, by this they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How about Colossians chapter 3? One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Colossians 3 says it like this, 12 through 17, about this love, this agape love, what it looks like. How do we put skin on the bones, so to speak? Put then on, or put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord. There's the model as the Lord has forgiven you. Why? So you also must forgive. Now look at 14. And above all these things, put on love. What does love do, church? Which binds which binds, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule. Let it rule and reign. When you see the word let there, it means this, do this. And let, do this. That the peace of Christ would rule in my heart and your heart, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful let the Word of Christ, the Bible, right here it is, church, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through Him and all God's people said, Put on then. Right here, Paul is using this imagery that he uses so often throughout Scripture. He's showing that you, you put on. It's, it's clothing that is the imagery here, that you put it on. Put on then. Right here in this verse, put on then as God's chosen ones. What? The first one out of the gate is holiness. 
What does that mean? It means just to be like God, to pursue being like God. Not some little God, no. Pursue his attributes. How will you know his attributes? You gotta fall in love with his words. That's why the enemy is so crafty. Let me just get people out of God's words. Because he knows. He knows if he can get people out of God's word, he's got them. He's got them. But above all, put on love. And it binds everything together. With the peace of Christ. Did you notice that? Not the peace of your circumstances improving. Not the peace of getting a job promotion. or Not the peace of you know, buying a certain house or a car. Not the peace of everything working out beautifully. He said, look, and the peace, let the peace of Christ rule, reign, dominate in my heart. And be thankful, he says. And whatever we do, whatever you do in word or deed, do it how? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. How much is excluded? How much is excluded from do everything? Not a whole bunch, amen? Pretty easy formula there, but so hard to run after in the flesh. In everything I do, and everything you do with brotherly affection, love that's agape, and everything that we do in word as we talk, indeed what we do in our actions, in everything we give thanks to God the Father through Him. But there's a challenge, isn't there? And the challenge in both of these today to try to achieve, to try to implement into our lives really comes back to one verse that we quote often, and it's James 3.16. And James 3.16 is the nugget from God's Word that shows so clearly why so many homes, use that illustration again, are in such disarray. If you wonder why homes are so broken, if you wonder why homes are in such conflict, right here it is, James 3.16. There's not the love there, not the agape love, not the affection, the brotherly love, but right here you see it where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be. It means this in the Greek. This is what you're signing up for. Disorder and every vile practice. I've never counseled someone whose marriage or home is in shambles and they in the home or the marriage are trying to outdo one another in showing honor. Here's what I hear. It's all about what's in it for me. I'm not getting my needs met, and, and he's not doing this, and she's not doing that, and it's just this constant battle. Right? There it is. If you want to know what's really going on in those conflicts inside the homes all across our country, there it is. So what should we do today? Like, what do we learn today? Like, what are you going to take away today? As we finish these seven elements that will supplement your faith, if we just leave here today and go, you know, that was, no, that was okay, and we just leave here and head off to lunch, and it never penetrates our hearts, it never gets into our minds, it never fossilizes and crystallizes into the activity of our lives. Not overly complicated. Brotherly affection. But there's just something about it. Just having a humility towards one another. Humility breeds unity. 
You say, well, how do you know? Well, the Bible tells us. God opposes the proud. There's division there. There's a stiff arm, a Heisman stiff arm for all those that are living in pridefulness. But he gives grace. There's a humility, this grace that's extended by him towards us in our humility that now there's the closeness. There's the the being brought near by the blood of Christ. Question for you and me today, what will we do? Uh, Some people say this. They say, well, if you teach the Word of God and all of its counsel, that's not very loving. I would argue this. What's not loving is not teaching the whole counsel of God. That's one of the most unloving things you can do. Why? Because we know the Word of God will set the human heart free. If you're here today and the reality is the outside shell might look good, but perhaps you are just enslaved in a self-imposed prison, the one thing that will unlock that prison cell you're in is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you truly give your life to Him and surrender everything to Him, what happens is He comes into your life and He doesn't just kind of partially clean you up. He, he puts you on a path of sanctification, ongoing change. And the closer you get to Him, the closer I get to Him, the more I will recognize, the more you will recognize the things that need to change. Now, now here's where this gets really, really dicey, that in those moments that we face those head on, the question is, will we admit it and are we willing to change? And that can be so hard, but it's so necessary in my life and yours. Are you taking on the attributes of God? Or perhaps the reality today is you're taking on the attributes of the world. We're only taking on one or the other. The two are at war with each other and they don't coexist. What is it today that as God is speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit even right now in this moment that He says, you know what, I, I want to use you. I want to use your life and your family and your talents and your abilities and your finances and your time and your calendar. I want to use this for my glory, God says, to advance my mission that, that many, many all throughout this community might come to know my son Jesus who is the Christ and who will set them free because you and I know this, don't we, church, that who the son sets free is not partially free, but they are forever free indeed. Amen? Oh, Lord, we come before you today and as we worship you on this day. Father, I pray that as you move and stir in our hearts, Lord, give us a love for the Bible and a culture that, unfortunately, even a church culture often that doesn't champion that idea. Give us a love for Scripture. Help us to fall in love with it. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us humble hearts brotherly affection towards one another and true agape love because that's what you've extended to us. So Holy Spirit, I pray in this room today, maybe there's one that's never given their life to you. Oh, Father, I pray would you move in power right now. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would not allow the enemy to have any foothold in that person's life any longer. 
But we pray you'd set them free today, God. Just boldly set them free. Lord, for the one that has given their life to you, but maybe they're enslaved in bad habits. Lord, I pray that you'd free them from those bad habits today, God. Oh, Father, all over this room, myself at the top of the list, as you show me, as you show us what we need to change. Don't allow us to be resistant. Don't allow us, don't allow us to fight against it, God. But through a soft, tender heart today, may I, may we be more conformed to the image of Christ. Oh, Father, do a work in this place, in this moment. It's your time, not ours. Don't allow us to hold on to the world and hold on to you simultaneously. But I pray today, today will be the day that we surrender all. Oh, Lord, we love you. We worship you in this moment. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.